The scripture reading for today, we have three sets of passages. The first passage is Proverbs 18.12. And for this one passage, I will read from the contemporary English version. The other two passages will be from the NIV. Proverbs 18.12. Pride leads to destruction. Humility leads to honor. Luke 14.11 For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. The last passage is John 3, verses 22 through 30. Afterwards, Jesus and his disciples left Jerusalem and stayed for a while in Judea and baptized there. At this time, John the Baptist was not yet in prison. He was baptizing at Enon near Salim because there was plenty of water there. One day, someone began an argument with John's disciples telling them that Jesus' baptism was best. So they came to John and said, Master, the man you met on the other side of the Jordan River, the one you said was the Messiah, he is baptizing too. And everyone is going over there instead of coming over here to us. John replied, God in heaven appoints each man's work. My work is to to prepare the way for that man so that everyone will go to him. You yourselves know how plainly I told you that I am not the Messiah. I am here to prepare the way for him, that is all. The crowds will naturally go to the main attraction. The bride will go where the bridegroom is. A bridegroom's friends rejoice with him. I am the bridegroom's friend, and I am filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. for this great opportunity to share the gospel. At the same time, I need to confess, yeah, I'm not a person who is appropriate for preaching without the merit of Christ who died for me. I'll never be able to be bold enough like this, standing here and preaching the truth to people. No, I rely only on the merit of Christ. About last year, when COVID was high, kind of, when people much kind of sick and struggling, as I tried to pray for people and for my family as well, a bit tempted that, Lord, I try to serve. I try to serve people in the church and or in, the, in the prison or whatever. I make effort, but the more I prayed in the spirit, I became more humble and oh, I cannot insist at all, except the merit of Christ who shed his blood on the cross 
I cannot mention about all my works because it was possible because of Christ. Because of Christ. So, yes. But now today is about um, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from, the, from, from evil. It is continued uh, with the theme of forgiveness last week and week even before. And as I hear the preaching of, about forgiveness, a little bit more thoughts about forgiveness, that forgiveness is not a one-time action. It's more of continuous action. That Jesus said 70 times, seven, uh, 70 times, um, seven times, Math 18.22. Even when we do forgive some people, even afterward, we could struggle. There's some hatred, and what comes back. And we struggle again, and we try again to forgive those. So I believe forgiveness is rather than a one-time action, it is also very much continuous action through our lives. And second thought about forgiveness is about forgiveness includes acceptance. I have found that it's very possible. Okay, I would forgive that person, but I, would not, I will not accept him or her as she or he is. I would forgive them, but I would not accept them. That's very possible. But forgiveness, we need to remember, forgiveness go with, goes with acceptance as well. Romans 15, verse 5 to 7 says, May, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. So forgiveness including, includes acceptance as people are, rather than trying to fix or repair them just celebrate and welcome as people are. And again, lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil as I prepare the sermon. As a spiritual warfare, it could be said or explained that the temptation to reject or cancel the forgiveness or maintain and preserve that forgiveness could be tempting and spiritual warfare, the realm of spiritual warfare. I thought that way as well. Whenever I'm full of grace and in the spirit, then I'm able to more bless and forgive people. But when I struggle with myself, whatever issues, then it really gets hard to forgive or accept people. So about the temptation, being delivered from evil, also we can connect to our heart of forgiveness as well. About Greek, about the evil, deliver us from evil. In Matthew 6, its Greek is tu poneru, and there is a definite article, so its more original translation is the, the evil one. Uh, which means about Satan. 
And in the Bible, it seems quite certain that Satan, Satan is a person, not just power or force. We can see that from Garden of Eden and the temptation of Christ. C.S. Lewis once uh, said about Satan, uh, quote, uh, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and an unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or magician with the same delight. So just not believing about Satan or devils or too much excessive or too much obsessed by that appropriate amount of warning and caution is needed, I believe. And the major character of Satan is pride, I believe. The arrogance, hubris. That's the first one. And many theologians agree that the biggest sin is pride. And it's a practical way in real life. Two things are there about Satan. It's lie and violence. Lie and violence. It's interesting in Isaiah 53 verse 9 about the servant of God, about the Messiah, it describes in Messiah, Christ, there, in him there's no violence and there's no deceit in his mouth, making clear contrast um, against Satan. So I'm interested about share about Three points that reflect about the prideness, the, the, pr the pride of the world. What tempting us and what hinders us from believing the Lord, being humble. About three points of pride and three points of humbleness I would share. First one about this world, its hubris and pride, I believe, is technology and science. One day I uh, found a signpost from a house that science is real. And that house was uh, of a person I really respect. I really respect him from my heart. One of the best person, really. And that gave me much thought about that. Science is real. Science, science is real. Yes, that's very true. But what about God? I just thought, thought like that. But still, I much appreciate about technology and science, of course. I visited Chino, California two weeks ago, and whenever I onboard on airplane, wow, I'm, I'm in the air. I can see the cloud. Wow. Literally, I'm on the air, and that marvels me, kind of. And also, whenever I struggle with my teeth pain, and I go to dentist, and it disappears. All those medicine and technology, it's real as long as we are wise in using that. They are good, of course, yes. One inmate who came to work from the jail, he was sent back to jail and came again. So his second time, he's trying better. And he told me like that, Sung Bin, 
I was more spiritual in the jail. What do you mean? Goodness, this smartphone. <laughs> Working, coming, coming out from the jail and having his smartphone, he's been more distracted and a little bit struggling with that. All those kind of temptations in the smartphone. He told me about that. While I do acknowledge the goodness and blessings in technology, also I need to say that our generation is getting more prideful and arrogant with technology as well. And one of the most clear, one of the best reputation I believe, is think and meditate about death. As I look at the cemeteries, all who are buried in the cemetery, I think Jesus said they are sleeping, right? And at a certain day, they will arise. That's my Christian faith. What would many scientists and doctors would say about that? Are they sleeping or they stop their existence at all? Whatever kind of technology or science cannot revive people. And that's our Christian faith that this life only is not the, not the all. There is eternal life and resurrection. It's ready for Christians. About that point, this technology and science somehow make it hazy and confusing. They're tempting us only about focusing on this life. So the most important points of our Christian faith is resurrection. Yes, all those scared and overwhelmed disciples who lost their Lord when Jesus passed away, what changed them completely was when they met Christ who resurrected. They changed everything even about their three years public life following Christ. Without that experience of meeting and beholding risen Lord, Christianity itself is all fake, all impossible. They met Christ, so they became courageous and bold, and they went out to Roman Empire, and they proclaimed Christ in the midst of empire becoming martyrs there. Technology and science today, all those medicines, it's great it, how it heals people. At the same time, we do see it's over-reliance of medicines and addictions as well. So we need to appreciate well about technology and science, not to be too prideful about that. Second point about the pride of this world is about do you know the word TMI? What does that mean? Yes. Too much information. Yes, it's good. Before in the past, we didn't have enough information. What's happening in the world, even newspapers or whatever information, even televisions, we couldn't get enough information. So we try to get more and more information about the world, about medicines, about science, our genes, all this kind of information. We, we sought to have more. But nowadays, thanks to the internet and our cell phone, we can search right away 
over and over and over and over. And all those informations making not same insistences and making some headaches and even confusion. I'm thankful that accessible, abundant information. But the problem is that it makes a deep and painful confusion in our time as well. In South Korea, now uh, the major candidates, two candidates have been elected. And there are some points they fight against, kind of arguing. And I've been reading newspapers and media, who is kind of right and who is lying. Goodness is so confusing. Endless information is coming out and over and over and over and over. And people making argument continuously, endlessly. But it's really hard to discern who's speaking the right and honest thing about themselves. Much thankful that COVID is going down now, but we experienced, we did experience about the controversy about mask, right? I wouldn't go that too deep. But um, when I also visited California using Chicago Airport and Ontario International Airport, it was the federal law about wearing mask. It was federal law. So you must wear a mask when you go to airport. And if it is that much controversial, I, I had to think, if it is that much controversial, why they demand that as federal law as well? Just, just became curious about that. So as we see that too much information in our time, we need to be careful what kind of information we need to choose. We need to limit that. Without limiting those unending information, we will be lost in the sea of endless information in our time as well. And third one, uh, this is more of pride of Christians today rather than the word. It is muzzled and mute in local evangelism. People are kind of tired about being out loud, about, about sharing and speaking the good news. Oh, I wouldn't argue about that. So they rather choose about serving. That's good Mennonite tradition as well. But I thought about that. If it's okay doing only good works without bearing witnesses to the gospel of Jesus Christ, it would be much simpler and easier, I believe. When the early church Christians, they committed themselves about the gospel, they helped their neighbors, but in the midst of in numerous idols and gods of Roman Empire, they were bold enough to proclaim Jesus and his Father and the Holy Spirit is true God. They proclaimed, and that became, that had become the point of their persecution. Not because of their good lifestyle, but of their message that they were, they had been bold in sharing every day that Jesus is the Savior then they had to suffer by beasts, by torture, whatever pains they had to. 
as a worship coordinator of this congregation, whenever I think about worship, right? And Jesus taught the Samaritan woman at the well that God seeks the true worshipers who worship in the spirit and in truth, right? And my second thought, then why God seek? Why God seeks those people, who, those true worshipers, why God seeking them? Yes, to give them grace, give them salvation, give them freedom. But what's the ultimate purpose of that? Why God calling and seeking those true worshipers is to commission them, is to send them, is to share that God is good. In God, there's true salvation. To commission, to send them, God calls true worshipers. If we think spreading the gospel out loud is only for some people or only for pastors, I believe it's one of the biggest mistakes and arrogance, very sadly. I'm not encouraging you to be too much kind of insisting or coercing, never. I have learned, one of the biggest learning I have learned coming from Presbyterian to Mennonite is about Mennonite manner, how people are moderate and humble and, and soft, even in their evangelism. I have learned that. So in the jail, I, I try to be humble in doing evangelism and proclamation, but at the same time, it's very possible being humble yet confident. And we have, we have some misconception I, I spoke with Wes about this, that around this area, almost all people are believers. Almost all believe Jesus. Almost all attend church. It's not. Come to the jail. How many people struggle in their life without God, without Christ? It is still much needed to share boldly and courageously that God is alive and there is salvation. And that's the humbleness of Christ. It is not because we are arrogant over other people, but because we are humble, we are forgiven sinners, and God forgives. We need to testify about that. So that's the third point of pride, I believe. And then, what about the point of humbleness for Christians? How should we practice to be humble in, in Christian way? First point is behold the humility of God. The more I study theology, the more I study and listen all those myths about deity, gods, Asian gods, African gods, whatever gods, I cannot find even a similar one that the most high, most powerful God gave his son sending his son to a weakest form of a baby and let him be crucified for the sinners and the rebellious. I never find that kind of story in the world. Our God is humble. Our God is so humble to the point of giving his son to the sinners. Now we are waiting for Advent, it will come soon. 
And whenever I think about the baby Jesus in the manger, how can we believe that the baby was God, is God? How humble our highest God in serving the creation and his people as well. And Jesus said, I came to this world not to be served, but to serve. And God is still now, even in the midst of sinfulness of the world, God serves his creation into his new creation to its completeness. So to avoid, to fight against the hubris of this world, firstly, we must behold our God who is unbelievably humble. Second one, to maintain and preserve humbleness as Christian is carry on with the message of the gospel and never lose your deepest appreciation for the message of the gospel. I, I dig a bit deeper with the message that our God is such a God who gave his one and only son to the sinners. I meditate that message a lot. There are so many wars in the world about God, theology, endless argument and debate about theology, about God and deity. But the core of Christian faith is that God, the highest, the creator, gave his one and only son to save sinners like me and like you, like us. Can it, does it make sense that abandoning or giving up your child, your children, for really evil people? Think about that. Can it make sense? By no means. It can't make sense to me. But God did that because of his love to his creation. I believe that's at the center of our Christian faith, that God, the Father, the Creator, gave his Son for sinner's sake. In Timothy, Paul said, in the last days, people will accumulate false teachers who please their ears. I believe still there are still amazing theologians out there, but some tendencies tend to ignore and neglect the core, the message of the gospel, how we are being saved. So, in preparing the sermon as I read the Bible, I was tempted <laughs> that goodness about the message of the gospel and its center, the atonement, Christ suffered in our place. How many verses would be there? And I just Googled it, and more than 100 verses. I was tempted to quote all those verses, but it was too many, so I couldn't do that. But about that atonement, Christ suffered in our place. I will read some verses. Genesis 3.21 and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Exodus 12:13. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are 
And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Isaiah 53, 4-5 Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement, a chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. And as Isaiah 53, verse 10, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. John 1:29. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. 1 John 2 and 2. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. So, Whenever I think about the word of God and the life of Christ who gave his life for us, to the core message of the gospel in our spiritual warfare in this prideful, arrogant world, if we carry and maintain and preserve the core message of the gospel, our God is such a humble God who gave his son for sinners. How can we be silent? If we believe my son, my, my, my sin is cleansed by his blood, he suffered in my place, in our place, how can we be silent? It's not because we are arrogant, but because we are humble that we share the message of the gospel. Please don't say it's not our tradition. If you study 16th century Anabaptist, they were bold enough to proclaim and spread the God of peace under Christendom. They were so bold. They, were tried to, they tried to imitate the early church Christians. Serving with good works, yes, you know, as you know, I've been emphasizing that, how much I ad admire that. But it needs, go, it, it needs to go with the message of the gospel. And, and in the jail... Yeah, I also visited Rosedale last Wednesday. I underestimated the distance. I thought about two hours, but four hours, so I had to a nine hours drive a day. But Matthew Cordella said hello all, of, all to you. And suddenly, uh, I preached it there in the chapel, but they asked me about podcast. Oh, my first time in my life, a podcast guest. So I joined the podcast. But what I shared, being unprepared about how we preach the gospel in the jail. Corey and I and many staff, as we do our staff meeting, we quite often talked about manner of evangelism, that uh, contrasting and comparing 
high-pressure evangelism and low-pressure evangelism. Can you imagine what, what it would it be about high-pressure evangelism? It's such a, something, something like heaven or hell, repent right now. <laughs> heaven or hell, choose it. All depends right now. That kind of high-pressure and we can imagine about revival tent in the past. And many people could receive huge amount of grace, but at the same time, quite a, people, quite a few people became offended and kind of feeling rejected there as well, with that too only being high-pressure evangelism. I still would maintain a certain amount of value that we need to have a certain time, certain moment of decision being high-pressure. But what we try to do in the jail is more of a low-pressure evangelism. And since I am the first chaplain in the work here, I asked Corey because we had to make job description together. So what's the point of chaplain? And Corey said, just summarized one thing, Songbin, listen. Listen to them. And that was very helpful. Okay? If it's a major thing of being chaplain, I would try. And I, I've been finding listening is really laborious in there, but, but without listening to their story, without understanding their broken childhood about their parents, about their loneliness and their recidivism, we cannot preach the gospel. So I would suggest this kind of low-pressure evangelism, more tender, more soft, more humble, yet confident. Yeah, there are many theories in theology and argument, and I'm not theologian, but I'm sure I'm saved by Jesus. And I hope you too experience that happiness in Christ. We can humbly, yet confidently, share with our friends and neighbors all, for all those who need that message in the world. And third one, about overcoming and avoiding the pride of the world, is about praising God. Okay, I would challenge you to imagine why don't you close your eyes? Just close your eyes. And when John the Baptist just said, look, the lamb of the world who carries the sin of the world, I would challenge you to imagine the full amount of sin of the world in human history. The full weight and the full amount of the sins of the world in its whole history. Can you feel the weight? Okay, open your eyes. And I would ask this question, which one is bigger? The whole, wholesome amount of the sin of the world or the greatness and goodness of God. Which one is bigger? The more we behold, the more we focus on news every day, 
whatever, mass media, YouTube, or Facebook, what I myself experience is that I lose my sense of praise in the midst of the world. I lose it. It just disappears. All those arguments and confusions, politics, people, all those enmities and hatred and racism, whatever kind of, it takes away from me my faith and my sense and my willingness of praising the Lord. But the more I read the Bible, the more I pray, then it encourages God is good. God is amazing. God is faithful. He is trustworthy. So those arrogant people cannot praise the Lord. They always complain, argue, and fight. But only those humble people of God, even while we see all the pains and brokenness of this world, we are bold and humble enough to out loud praise the Lord. That's how we can defeat the pride of this world. Why pride is that the biggest sin and why it is so fatal and is so scary? One of the best explanations about pride came from the senior pastor of my mother congregation. The name is Semunan Church. It's the first Presbyterian church in South Korea. And I loved his preachings. He was so humble person. And he explained about why the sin of pride is that scary. He explained like this. All other sins like theft or hatred or jealousy or lust, whatever kind of sins, we can be aware, oh, I commit this sin. We can sense that. We know about we sinning, that sins. But he said, Tongye Kim, the sin of pride, you yourself, being prideful, never realize you are, you are arrogant. People around you all know that. But you yourself don't know that you are arrogant. I still remember the sermon. And it's that, it's why it's scary. When I being arrogant and prideful, I don't know. I still, I'm, I think I'm good, I'm humble. But people around me know I am arrogant. So that's why we need to be more aware and deeply cautioning against the sin of pride. We may think we are good people, we, we are good and we are doing good many things, but at the same time, when we are being unaware, we might become prideful and arrogant. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, he explained about the scariness of uh, pride. Quote, the vice I'm talking of is pride or self-conceit, and the virtue opposite to it in Christian morals is called humility. According to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the almost evil, is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. Goodness, I was really glad to find this quote preparing the sermon.
the arrogant don't and can't forgive. The humble and humble Christians can forgive others relying on the forgiveness of our humble God who forgives sinners. The epitome of humility is Christ. As we behold the glorious cross, which leads to the empty tomb, the epitome of arrogance is Satan. And many people in the world are tempted by that arrogance. And Hubris says, well, as we keep praying the prayer, lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil, from the evil one. One of the major points for us is to choose whether being humble or being arrogant. Recently, I have been leading a Bible study with Psalm 103. And I have found it's wonderful about praising God and his forgiveness. So I would encourage you to turn Psalm 103. Psalm 103. And let us stand up together and let us read it, it out loud together. Please stand up and Psalm 103. It's about praising the Lord, about his forgiving grace. Different versions are okay. Just read it together. 103, Psalm of David. Start. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity who heals all your diseases, who redeemed your life from the pit, who crowned you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteous and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Let's sit down.
John the Baptist, when people asked him, are you the Messiah? No, I'm not. I'm unworthy to untie his sandal. And his followers all went to Christ, losing his followers. And his, John's disciples asked him, John, your disciples all going to Jesus, you mentioned. And what he said, you know what? That's my joy. I came for that. He must increase, and I must decrease. As we fight, the thick fight in our time, that spiritual warfare, let's together pray to be even more humble, beholding the glorious humbleness of our God, rejecting to be arrogant or prideful with our technology, science, too much information, being muzzled in sound local evangelism, avoiding those, let's be, let us be humble, beholding God's humbleness, and preserving and humbly yet confidently vocal in preaching and bearing witness to the message of the gospel. And then every day praising the Lord, let us stay humble. Let us pray. Lord, as we deeply meditate how humble you are, it gives us more and more grace and encouragement because you are the most high, you are the most powerful. We can see all your majesties from Old Testament, how big and biggest authority is yours. But you gave us your one and only son to save us and save the whole creation. And as we anticipate the advent, waiting for the baby Jesus, Lord, increase our humbleness that we may decrease but increase you in our daily life. Our time in many places, we hear about all those arrogant voices and insistences. Give us discernment, the ability of discernment that we may not be swayed by all those turbulence and turmoils of the world, but we may stay humble in your grace and your truth. Just as John the Baptist said, he must increase and I must decrease. And we believe that's possible in your grace and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.